Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, How's it going, everybody? Jamie here. I hope recruiting. you've been enjoying these lacrosse Now let's get started with your host, as much as I've Jamie been Monroe. Having them. If you like this kind of content, I've got some other great resources for you. Check out my blog, a lacrosse weekend comes out Saturdays at jm3blog.com. Check out our JM3 Sports YouTube channel. Tons of great content in there. We've really upgraded it over the last couple of months. And then last, uh, the Coaches Training Program, our most updated and cutting-edge content, over 200 webinars, office hours, endless drills. I think you'll love it and have a great 2023. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome back Andy Shea to the Philacrosophy podcast. Andy's the head coach at Yale University. Um, uh, Andy, how you doing, man? So awesome to have you back on the show. It's great to be here, buddy. I apologize for being tough to nail down, but um, always psyched to talk lacrosse with you and honored to be on here. No doubt, man. I love it. We've uh, we've talked lacrosse for a lot of years back when we were both assistant coaches and yep. where I was a young, young head coach and you were... Uh, the assistant at UMass when I, we first started uh, doing a lot of talking of lacrosse and sit there, listen to Greg Carroll, tell jokes and laugh the whole time. And it was uh, now it back in the early 2000s, wasn't it? That's, that's a long time ago. It's crazy. I can't it's 2023. Um, I can't believe it's been five years almost since we did a podcast too. Four and a half right. years. Um, all right. Let's talk a little lacrosse. Let's kick it off with, well, I want to actually, you mentioned something on a conversation last time that there was a book you read that had a huge impact on you. What book was that? And what were some of the impacts? Uh, we're talking talent code. Yes. That's what I mentioned that that's, that's probably um, talent code by Daniel coils. The, for my money and, and at least the way I coach, that's kind of the Holy grail uh, in terms of, um, you know, how we design drills, what we want to do, um, you know, how we want to try and get better. And it uh, ultimately it, it's a, uh, it's a little, uh, it's it's a science um, of why kind of the constrained learning model works, um, you know, and it, it's it can be viewed in a mi- million different ways. There's, you know, anytime your brain or your, 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 you know, central nervous system has to work a little harder to accomplish a task, you get a little bit better at it. So, um, you know, they, they, they talked about the the Brazilian soccer dynasty or the, what, what people think is a dynasty before 1950. I don't know, whenever, whatever that world 52 world cup, maybe um, Brazil was, was non-existent in, in uh, world soccer. Um, but they had so many basketball courts that they didn't use that they started to play futsal in the basketball courts, which is a, analogous, obviously to box lacrosse for us. Yep. Um, and then they just, you know, ascended to this dynastic uh, country in soccer. So um you know, it just looks at a number of different hot hot houses of what he what he calls hot houses of talent, and and that being one of them is a music school in upstate New York that he that talks about that um, the the tennis um, the Russian tennis um, gym that has produced six top fifty women's tennis players. So um, there's just a number of different models, and he talks about how you know their model on how how it you know, how they're all similar and, and the things that they do. So armed with that, we've, we've kind of changed the way we drill and 
Um, you know, we work on, uh, you know, two, di two different things that we constantly work on. We work on what I call distillation uh, because we're in the Ivy League and we can't practice that much. And we work on friction and friction is, you know, a broad way to describe the constrained learning approach. So um, anytime we, we get, we have a bunker in the preseason, um, we call it a bunker where the staff gets together and we, we throw drills on the wall and we pick them apart. And, you know, what, what do we want to install? And we will probably put up 15 or 20 drills and we'll probably pull, you know, after we, after we go through them all, we'll probably refine them down to two or three that we really like. Um, but the constant question is, you know, where's the friction in this? What's, what is this? Where's the friction? What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the position group that's getting the friction? Um, you know, and to that point, are we, are we giving the offense too much friction, the defense too much friction? So this is just considerations we do all the time. And I think that's, you know, because, we coach in this league and you remember how much fun it was to coach in this league. Um, that's why we do it that way because we want to, we want to maximize our time. Yeah. And the friction is anything that's creating uh context um, in the challenge of right. the situation. Right. So friction could be physical friction. It could be physicality. Um, but the, but friction against the time could be parameters. Um you know, I'm big on spacing friction. You know, we'll do we'll do clearing drills. You know, I I I ask our defensemen to get when they first get here, and we do we do you know we do breakouts, and and I tell our defensemen to break out. This is an old Terry Mangan, uh, you know, pet peeve. But I ask our breakman, our defensemen to break out with their heels, you know, almost touching the sideline. And when they first get here, their first day here as a freshman we make the defenseman break out out of bounds. Like they break, they have to get out of <laughs> off the field um, in order to break out that far. And, and Terry, you say that's, that makes you harder to ride and you do. And, and it is. Um, so in order to increase friction with riding, we make them clear inside the restraining box. So treat the restraining line as if it's a sideline. Um, now that gets, it's that's friction for the defense. You know, that's easier for the offense or the riding team. Right. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of, uh, you got to kind of feed both of feed both sides over the course of a practice, in my opinion. Um, but that's that's kind of that's one of the things that we would do. And you just dial it up and down based on what you um, are getting and what you want and what right. adaptations you're looking for, right? Yeah, you know, and I read a uh, I read a um, something in another book, not a Daniel Coyle book, but uh, talked about the restriction that you want uh, for improvement is, is roughly 10%. And anything more is, is going to be detrimental. Uh, anything less is going to be not as, you know, not as beneficial. So um, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what that looks like empirically. Seems like a uh, oddly specific number, yeah. but, um, but, you know, there's things that we, we, you know, when I tell my assistants, like, yeah, we sucked at that drill. It's like, well, let's give it a couple days. And see if we can get better. You know what I mean? And and a, and a drill that you suck at, I don't think is necessarily um, a bad sign. Like sometimes as coaches, we look at it and we just want it to look awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's 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 benefits in looking ugly for a day or two. You look ugly for three days, you probably shouldn't be doing that drill. 
So where you got to change some of the constraints, maybe there's right. some friction one way or the other. I mean, basically, right. so all these constraints, it could be long poles, right? You could eliminate, you know, if you're not doing very well with a particular drill, you probably have too many poles in. Maybe you exactly. should, you know, exactly. reduce the poles, add some shorts. Uh, maybe exactly. there's not enough time. Maybe there's not enough space. What about goal size, Andy? Goal you size, know, is we, yeah, we, um, it, you know, I think it's, it's, it's obviously helpful. Um, yeah. I think we as Americans play on small goals and our hands automatically drop, you know what I mean? And, and you talk to Canadians and they, they still keep the, the stick on their shoulders, you know what I mean? Which is what you want. And they can, they can drop their hands if need be. But I think we, as Americans, when you get on the smaller goals, you know, you play in a trash can or a three by three or, or something of that nature. Um, you're going to have to drop your hands to kind of increase your angle a little bit. You know what I mean? You can't just go off your shoulder on a three by three every time. So we've actually experimented with different, um, different shapes of goals, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, my staff is, uh, gets excited for the, the day we go to home Depot and go to the plumbing section and, and build goals and out of galvanized pipe in there. So they, they think it's hilarious that we've got a big budget and I, I won't buy a four by four. I'll go build it at Home Depot. Um, but you know, we, we, uh, this, this year we, we did a T goal where it was wider, uh, at the top. Um, and then it was more of a four by four and the bottom, we did an H goal, uh, this year that was taller on the corners, uh, which I think was actually pretty beneficial. Kept the guys sticks up and, and still was the challenge for them to, uh, to score. I think I might've sent a picture of that one. No, I didn't see that. No. Um no, goal, no goalie in or goalie in? No goalie, but it's the but it's you know, it's 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 a an offensive player. So it's just for playing box with with all the O guys. Yeah, yeah. Um tennis balls. Yeah, it's a little and it's it's harder for the D guys. They don't really get to do that with a long stick, you know what I mean? Yeah. So some of them don't like to use a short stick, but it's not as I don't think it's as beneficial for those guys to play with a with a long stick on in box. I don't either, but I also sometimes feel like, and it's fine for them to use shorties, but you know what I love using, Andy, is a schlong, a 50-inch stick, a short long. I beg your pardon? <laughs> um, because yeah. the, a 50-inch stick, I got one right here. A 50-inch stick gives you, um, it gives you the leverage that you feel with a pole right. kind of hold, and you have yeah. it's a lot stronger, obviously, because it's... Yeah. But and, and but it also gives you the range, you know, to stick handle and reach. Um, and you, you know what's funny is that back in the day, because I was I was a midfielder that could converted to defense my junior year in high school. Yeah, and that's what that's what they gave you. They didn't give you a six foot stick. Right. They gave you they gave you a, a sixty four inch stick or whatever. Exactly, so it's lot off. That's I'm like not, I'm not being that tall either. But. Um, I'll tell you what, man, it's, it was fun. I started doing this when, um, when I was coaching Mountain Vista high school in 2015 and, um, all my poles, I, we played a lot of box. And then I was just like, you know what? I really want my poles to like start working on their V holds, but I want them to play two ways in these box games. And I want, you know, we're playing in a box and I don't want them to like destroy every drill with too much defensive friction. So I had them use 50 inch sticks and it was actually amazing what it did for their stick handling Interesting for their, for their dodging, for their handling, also for their picking off of passes, because what, what ends up happening is everyone teaches you like put your stick in a lane 
But as we talked about in our little zone offense conversation last year, it's the easiest thing in the world to, to zip it right by somebody's ear when their stick is in the lane. And really what, what, what your short long makes you do is, is kind of play like a snake all coiled, ready to explode. And then you can, you can just bait someone into something and you can get your stick there so quickly and you have real reach and length. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. What, I, I always have, you know, with the athletes I work with, with the poles, I always get them using their short long and um, it, they like it way better. Um, and it, it actually has a huge benefit for them. So it's pretty cool. I can see why that would we'll start doing well, that. Our, our defense, by the way, that year had Latrell Harris, who actually played with like a short long the whole year. So that kid, he plays for the archers and the rock. Right. Canadian right. kid, um, Who lived in my basement for a year. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then uh and remember Pless? Yeah, yeah. Um Kyle Pless, who played at Rutgers, he played yeah. with Joe Long and he he picked up a pole literally as as a junior in high school and was an all-American all that year and then went off and had a great career at Rutgers and played in the PLO. But I'll I'll tell you what, every one of my defensemen though started to prefer sticks that were more like up to their chin. Interesting. Because it allowed them to be so much quicker and so much stronger. I did a podcast with Brody Merrill actually, and he talked about that he never used a, a full length stick. And of course he grew to six four. Um, so his sticks was probably up to his nose anyways. He never um, used it even at Georgetown and and pros. Well, he, growing up, he never did. And then he when he by the time he was at Georgetown, he was taller than the stick significantly. So I think it was almost like playing with a chopped down stick for normal six. Remember, the, remember going to going to the junior all-star game in St. Catharines that one year? I did. Like in, 90 what was that like that 99 or something like that i remember watching i remember my first box experience was watching orangeville play at st Catharines in the ola uh ontario final right and it was craig con yep con man john greenhall yep and i was recruiting those guys and matt, then, vince, was, matt vince is still playing isn't he matt vince is still playing yeah yeah unbelievable That's crazy. And Greenhall, you coached. I mean, uh, and and uh, Craig Kahn went to uh, UMass. Where yep. you were there, right? When he was there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was um didn't like college. No, great Good player. Kid. I did a home visit at the cons. That was a and and Greenhall. I couldn't get him. That's why I started recruiting Canadians from BC because the Ontario kids would rather not uh, go out to Colorado. So I got well, on. We uh, so Craig Greg Canella and I went to his house, and uh, you know Craig was thick, but he wasn't that tall. I remember we, you know, we had come off a six and eight season, I think my first year at UMass. And he said, we got to, you know, we got to get tougher and whatever. And I said, you know, there's only this one kid that we're looking at from Canada. Nobody really knows about. I said, Jamie knows about him. We know about him, obviously. So Greg and I drove across New York state nine hours together uh, to watch him play that old field tournament at like the YMCA or whatever. Yeah. And first game, Greg and I were sitting at the scores table of all places because there was nowhere to sit. And it was probably, you know, I don't even know why we were sitting there, but right between the boxes. First play of the game, he hits a kid, gets a penalty, and uh, he's running off the field. And there's a guy, a kid probably 6'4", that's about 20 yards from him. And he's getting closer to him. And the guy says, why don't you pick on some of your own size? And Craig coils and pops this kid. I mean, and Craig was half his size at least and just absolutely knocked him out of the game, I think, with that, whatever that was, and and then, the you know, beating him up right there. So we drive all this way for this tournament. Craig gets kicked out. 
in the first in the first 30 seconds. And I'm thinking, this is my, you know, I've just got promoted to defense coordinator, full-time coach. First time I'm a full-time coach, benefits. And uh Thanks. I'm thinking uh, I'm getting fired because this is my plan to come watch this kid. And Greg turns to me, he goes, We need this kid. Love this kid. <laughs> like, all right, here we go. So we got we ended up getting him and he was great for us for a year. And then the next year didn't, you know, then the academics didn't really work out, but he was ETAC uh, rookie of the year, right? Yeah, that I don't know, but he if he was if he, he was, was he was he made he made honors as a freshman. He did. He, he was great for us. And actually, that winter uh, before he you know went into some academic issues, you know, Chris Fiore was was a team all American. Kevin Lavelle oh, yeah. all American. Don Little, um, all those guys would would tell you that he was the best player on the team. You know, before he had to go home, so um, you know, just didn't. One of those guys didn't like college, and that was it. But he he could have had four. He could have had five scoring titles. You remember yeah. that? Which no. was like, oh, oh, in in boxing, he he was leading scorer his first like his first year, and then he got in a fight, and then didn't. But all five years he didn't get it. But he he was he could have he could have gotten five in in Ontario Junior A. Yeah, he was, he was on pace to do so every year, um, and no one had ever gotten any more than three besides Gaylord Paulus and. John Grant Jr. Uh, right. Switching gears, uh, sure, or, or switching gears back to constraints. What What are your thoughts on on how a coach is a constraint, both positive and negative, in the scope of the drills? Um, you know, I think I think that I don't know. I, I think that that. You know, there's there's a there's a theory that any you know anything any behavior observed is going to change that behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this this place and the, and all the Ivies, you know these these kids tend to practice on their own. Um, you know, in captain's situation, so you know I think it's valuable because they develop leadership. You know yeah. what I mean? I think yeah. that when when coaches are at practice, um, we can take too much of the too much of the reins in that moment in yeah. time. And um, I think I am careful. And I think my staff is careful sometimes to let our guys kind of teach each other, coach each other, and give them an opportunity to, to be, to lead in, in, you know, an organic setting. And, um, but I, you know, I, I'm a little, I'm guilty of blowing the whistle too much probably uh, and not letting, letting plays play out. Um, you know, you can over drill and underplay. Yeah. I think. And you got to be careful of that. Um, I remember Greg saying that for years. Like we should, we need to play. We need to scrimmage. We yeah. just need to scrimmage. You know, and and that's valuable too. Obviously, um, kind of like a, a free range approach. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it totally does, and I think it's really important because you you made a comment earlier about like you know we we as coaches want drills to look good, right? But that and and you know if you're if you're Good, get good at doing that it makes you feel like you're a good coach because you can make it work right. but then you become uh a constraint on the situation where it, it it's it's like fool's gold right any anybody can make a drill look good the question is can you let it not look good and realize that you're actually gaining things from it or tweak the constraints tweak the friction so that you end up getting a result that you want. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was, why I was asking. Well, and I think that, you know, I, I think 
coach as coaches, how many times do you get five or six weeks into a season and you're like, how come we're not any good at this anymore? Yeah. Like, we were great at this three weeks ago and we're still working on it. Well, you're probably numbing your kids a little bit with what you're doing. Um, you know, and it's not easy. It's a delicate dance. You know, I try and track it through the course of the season as best I can, um, you know, and mix up as many, you know, drills as, as, as we have for a certain, you know, be it transition, six and six, whatever. Um, I try and mix it up. So it's not the same thing, but then there's the old school model, just show up, do four on threes, five on fours, scrimmage and go home and you can beat anybody. I don't know. <laughs> and you can win. Yeah. Yeah. It's same practice plan every, every day. So, um, you know, the, the constraints of no coaches there that you referenced a second ago of allowing your athletes, your mm -hmm. players to be leaders. I noticed that very, very obviously when I came to practice in the fall of 2019, right before the uh, pandemic that right. last fall. And I was really, you know, I loved watching you guys practice. It was one of the early practices in the fall. It was a night practice on like a Thursday night or something. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday night. And um, and you, the, the guys were definitely running that practice in everything other than the coaching of what needed to be said, it, at least it, it seemed to me, meaning – when things, when people needed to get places, when the, when, when the, the, you know, you need to get into lines, when things were getting organized and set up, when even the substitutions, when you guys were kind of going full field, it was remarkable to watch that. And, and that's a really interesting constraint in and of itself to have that type of peer um, type of leadership. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, you know, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't take credit for it. I think that we, I think it has developed over the years that we have an expectation to be in a drill. You know, we have a, we have a, a large drill bank, but we probably only draw on about, you know, 20% of it over the course of a given week. So, and, and I think that our guys by and large should know every drill, you know, if it's on the practice plan that, you know, they know, they know what to do and when to do it. But I think for some strange reason, I don't know when it stopped, we started doing it, but the older guys started yelling at the younger guys about being in a certain spot. And it has now been passed down uh, every year to the point now where it's just, it's a luxury as a coach. You just, you know, and you could, you can, you can kind of ham it up and be like, well, you know, start counting down from five to see if they can get into it and, and, you know, when you get screamed at as a freshman by, a, you know, an upperclassman um, and then you start to realize, well, there's no malice that when you become a sophomore, junior, senior, A, you can't wait to yell at somebody because you got yelled at. You know what I mean? But then you start to see the value of it of, OK, we got into this drill in just a few seconds and we did it better than and faster than the guys did last year. You know what I mean? Um, it kind of kind of feed, feeds on itself, I think, over the years. And um, what you ended up seeing was a really uh, impressive version. And now, fast forward till post-pandemic world, um, you know, we had anywhere from 
I think probably maybe 30 guys that had never really been through that. Mm. So instead of having 11 guys that are, that are getting yelled at, now you've got 30 guys who are, who are getting yelled at by, you know, roughly 20. Um, it took us a long time to, to kind of rekindle that. And I think this fall um, really felt more like us. I think last year was very difficult um, because when you come in as a freshman, you're like, why, why is everybody yelling at me? You know what I mean? Um, and it's, it takes a little while to figure that out. If there's 30 guys that are, that are getting yelled at, that's a lot more energy that's needed to, to mobilize those guys. Um, and I give our guys credit. They actually, you know, they brought it back up to the, to an acceptable level. It's so great. And it's so great that you don't have to yell. Well, years ago, I would, you know, I was the motor and a, it's not sustainable. B it's, it's not, you know, it's not sustainable for me health wise. And, you know, I'm not their peer. I end up being a, just a, just a, a guy that yells at them, yeah. you know, and, and it's not, I yell enough, you know, I yell plenty, but sure. I, I don't want to, I don't want to yell so much that, that they tune everything out. And I think that that the benefit of kind of the peer led approach that we now have, once again, I'm not taking credit for it. Uh, it's helped immensely, immensely. It, it truly is amazing. What are your thoughts about, um, as a constraint, as, as a, as a friction about pressure, uh, ball pressure, defensive pressure, double team pressure, adjacent pressure. Yeah. Thoughts about um, pressure. You know, I, 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 and we had this discussion, um, the other day and I was actually talking with your son about this yesterday is that the, you know, the life cycle of these offenses over the years, we're old enough now to see the, you know, the, the, the third coming of the two, 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 at least in our generation, you know what I mean? And it's yep. like, you know, now, now pairs is, is, or versions of pairs is, are really prevalent. Um, you know, but, you know, back in pre nineties, it was 13 down the alley. And, you know, then we, the sliding defenses maybe put a, put a stop to that because people didn't want to turn the ball over every time. And now you're, now you're back in a two, two, two. And so, you know, I think that now the big thing is skills are so advanced. Kids are so slick um, that if you don't have pressure on the ball, uh, then you're asking to get scored on, you know, and then, and there's a school of thought if you over <laughs> put more pressure on the ball that you're asking to get scored on. So, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's, I think defensive coordinators in the age of the shot clock are, are definitely earning their, uh, earning their pay at this point. You know, I think that back, you know, just a few years ago, you could play defense with your offense and yep. you'd be fine. Um, you know, I think that, that now teams who can put the ball on the ground in the defensive end, um, you know, it's, that it, it's, that's how you, Ball pressure is how you're going to make, you know, make your defense put up good numbers. Uh, and it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Um, we're seeing a lot more actually short stick, uh, short stick takeaways than long stick takeaways. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. it is. The uh, the reverse V hold crowbar thing where when a righty just sort of just. Uses- yeah, the punch and the, uh-huh. the, the short stick can opener and. So, um, about the Andy Towers delay wrap. <laughs> what's the delayed wrap? 
All right. So if you're like, if someone was dodging lefty, let's say midi or midi's dodging lefty on you, and you're you're out, you're it's usually done farther out, you know, but you're running next to them and you basically like swing like you're gonna wrap them and then pause. And as you start your swing, they pull their arm back. But because yeah. they're running, their arms and legs work in unison and it has to come back. Right. And then you come right around and uh pop it right that's out. An old, that's that's an old that's a that's an old defense long stick trick. That's how you just time that's how you time it up. But played wrap. Uh, we actually talked about the old the the trivia question the the lost Denver defense where you can trail check and slide and <laughs> you know the- it was really interesting that that you know I was thinking about that as you we were talking about pressure because because Torp and I John Torpy now the head coach at High Point um, installed a defense that that completely launched our program you know from from right. like good to really good we never got to great. Um, but we went from like a top 25 team to a top 12 team that went to a couple NCAA tournaments and we did it primarily through pressure. Yeah. Through ball pressure through adjacent pressure through double team pressure. Um, and it was, it was interesting how we started to win more 50, 50 games. Yeah. Now we, we weren't going to beat the teams that were better than we were. You almost beat Virginia. Well, we gave Virginia the best, probably there in 06 when they, when they um, went to the championship and we're dominant. We we gave them, I think, the closest game of this season. Was that we, in 05, in 05, you drove down there after playing us. Oh yeah. You remember that? I do because we had uh we had missed our we gotten snowed out early in early in the season. So we went down and we lost we lost at your place in 05. And it was a great game. That game was I was like really about it. I think I have that game. I I went through in the pandemic, I went through and I I, I uh, digitized and and uh, indexed all of my notebooks, like thirty pounds of notebooks over over twenty something years. So I scanned them all in and I indexed them. So now they're. It turns out over after all that time, I've thought of like three to three similar things every <laughs> every page, every couple pages. So it's really not that not really worth it. And I also I also um, took all of our games on DVD and I. And I imported them to. You send that one to me, will you? And before I'll try and find. I'm pretty sure I have it. I really would love to see that. You know, the kid that was interesting. You had from Madison, Christian Anderson. Anderson, remember he like goosed it behind, like in over next to a kid on the bench or something like that, and that right right in front of your bench. Oh yeah. Went up the field. I'm like, it was one of the more impressive stick plays I've ever seen. I was like, we're gonna get killed by these guys. That was from our uh, our days of playing a lot of hockey. Yeah. Hockey well, out. That was that was a phenomenal game. But I remember it really was man. That it was game, like, how game. are we going to play against these guys? Like with that, and I'm like, they can't play like this, can they? We're gonna we're gonna score when we want, and sure enough, it turned. It was over weird because that. people people would score, but then but then then they then we would sort of settle in, and then as the more care if if anybody got a lead on you, they would start to get more careful, and then the more careful they got, the more they would then turn it over under the pressure. You yeah. know what? You know what? It really developed our players, though. It oh, I can, I can only imagine. What's that? I can only imagine. It's a, and it's such a leap of faith to do, right? Like, what was it that year you did it? Oh five, we we did it. Oh five, oh six, oh seven. You know what? What? What it really was was, um, we just decided to get pressure on the ball, pressure on the adjacent in the direction we were going. 
And then we would try to stay on doubles if we felt like we had them. So we wouldn't always slide and stay in a double, but, but if you were going hard, we would try to, and then the more we would pressure out, the more we, the more free doubles we would get. So if I, if I send you that, if I get it, yeah, and I send you that video, you can, you can, you got to like break it down and do like a, a show on it. Like this is how we do it. That would be, that'd be interesting. That would be sick. (laughs) You you know how, um, you know how you also had, you also, your face off guy used to look at the ref. Who was, who was that? Snyder. That's that's Snyder. And Scott Davidson. But hey, so think about this. I see Scott all the time around town, by the way. No way. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He lives in Guilford. Yeah. So So. check this out. Um, do you remember the deaf face off guy from the Adirondack Empire team? Yes. Where is he? That's what, where I he? learned the look at the ref. And I was like, I told <laughs> Snyder and Scotty and Scotty was better than Snyder at the time. And um, so he didn't do it. And then Snyder started beating him on every single face off. And then Scotty would like had to do it. And, and, and they, they changed the rule. No more hands coming down because, because basically the refs would instinctively blow the whistle slightly after they would pull their hand down, but they wouldn't realize that it was going early because they were going on the hand movement, not the whistle. So they were getting a jump on the ball every single time. <laughs> but hold on. I want to talk about one really cool. You got to um, write, write a book about all these ideas. That's funny stuff. <laughs> Check this out. This is really cool. This is out there, but it's sick. We, we were trying to cover, we had a really hard time covering great att- dodging attackmen and the kid, Pat Walsh. Remember that kid, Pat Walsh? Yep. yep. He's like a Wontuck kid. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that athletic, but somehow he was just so good at coming around. And we just like, he was just beating us and we couldn't slide to his, he couldn't slide to his face because he was too good. Right. So we decided to go over his head and slide to his face. Is that how you started doing the take the. That's how we started stuff? doing that. We basically started realizing that if somebody's coming tight to the crease, it's kind of like an invert. I mean, if you want to slide to an invert, if you go early right. enough, you can mess up their ability to feed it. And what we did was we would go over their head and make them tuck it. Cause they can't, once they, once they, once you go over their head, they have to tuck their stick. Right. Right. If you slide and to that and you can, if you can communicate that. And if you're athletic enough to be in a trail position from the get. Well, you're, that was the tricky part is that you have to really try not to get beat and make them work so hard that you do get beat that you can then go over their head. But the thing is, is that every single kid in our day knew how to go over the head. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden when the Princeton defense took over and checking became, you know, um, sort of outlawed. Right. Even V holds were outlawed. It was literally just cross checks that nobody knew how to do that. And your ability to use your stick like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it developed our players similar to the way I think V holds develop your ability to use your stick for ball pressure, whether it, you know, you look at Notre Dame guys, you know, um, over the years, they, they, they were great takeaway guys, even though they didn't really work on takeaways. It was just because they were so good with their V holds. Yeah. They were so good at getting depth, their V holds and their reverse V holds that they just kind of knew that they could chop you on a ding dong or go over your head if they needed to, or back wrap you if they knew they were in trouble. And, and that was what we were experimenting with. And that's what we ended up doing with our shorts, you know, as well. And it really makes, it makes Dodgers, you know, puts them in a tough spot. They can't go that hard if they know if someone's going over, the, over your head. 
you know what's funny is that we when we teach V hold and we don't we don't do it. My rule is we're going to V hold inside of five and five. Say so it like again. My the you're going to V hold inside of five and five. So if a guy's going to get inside the island, yeah, then we're going to V hold. Anything out of that is almost it's almost a waste of you know it's it's almost a waste to to V hold outside of that. At least that's my way I feel. But we teach guys how to do it. They don't know how to do it. First of all, when they come in, right. But these kids think that that the strength is from their top hand in a b-hole. Like that's that that's where they're trying to they're yeah. putting all this pressure in their top hand. And it's like, you know, you get, if you guys understand lever mechanics, it's your bottom hand that that has that you need to engage. And it and and you know, the the your top hand is the fulcrum. You know what I mean? Like the strength needs to come from the butt end and when we teach guys that and they understand that, like it's mind blowing to me how many kids come into, you know, to play defense. They just take, well, if it looks like a V it's a V hold. Well, nah, not exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's yeah. something that when they realize like, Oh, I'm a lot stronger if I just really engage in my bottom hand here um, and use my, my top hand as a brace, I can hold him a lot more effectively and do, you know, be more stable, be, a, you know, be a stronger base and all that. So, um, well, it's also because I think it, it's, it, it really is truly a hold. And I think people think yeah. of it as you're trying to like use your arm to push them out. And, and right. that, it's, not, it's not a snowplow. That's not, not a snowplow. It, it's a vice. It, it should be a vice, not a snowplow. That's exactly. what we kind of tell the guys, but a lot right, of it, it should be legal also because they, they, they don't, they, 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 they're on, they're on the run. And so because they're on the run trying to V-hold, they get inside rolled on, you know, so right. easily. Whereas if you shuffle your feet and you use the lever mechanics of your bottom hand strength, you can really c- capture them in that V-hold. Right. You get, you can get, you can get wider if you do that. If you can use your bottom hand, you can get wider legs. You can, and you can use your bottom downfield leg, you know, right. actually as, as another part of your defense when they do get underneath you a little bit. You right. can lift that knee up and slow them down on, on that inside roll. But yeah, um, I don't disagree. I mean, your whole point on the, um, on the don't V hold until five and five is, is because you're probably going to try to push them and use their momentum against them um, when they're heading that way. But when they're bearing right into you and they're getting ahead of your top hand, when they, when they're bearing into you and they get ahead of your left hand, let's say if you're a righty, your bottom hand, that's when you would probably need to just hold them. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the two-handed, well, for us, it's it's a lot of two-handed, but the, there's value in the V. Um, you know, I just think that the days of going out to approach a guy at 15 yards, you know, like this, are long gone. Guys are too fast, too good. Sticks, the sticks don't drop the ball anymore. Um, Not like the old Sammies? No. Anyway, what's your thoughts on on defensively as far as um, poking and dropping and stick out versus moving laterally and cross-checking? I had this conversation with Lars the other day, and we talked about, you know, what, you know, I'm not sure there's an exact right or wrong way, but I'm curious. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I play defense and I, and I like to think that I had an ability to poke check in order to predict which way he was going to go. 
Yeah. You know I mean, not every guy can go under the, under a poke check, but it's more of a, it's more of a hand check in basketball using the yep. stick as, as, as a, as an ability to hand check. Um, so we try and teach that. And then, and, you know, all of my defensive coordinators uh, that I've had backs and, and Ed Williams and um, will argue that guys get out of position because of the poke check. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's, it's more of an advanced skill to be able to do that and not lunge. You know what I mean? Um, you have to go one handed most of the time, if not all the time. Um, it gets a little, uh, you, you do leave yourself open to a little bit of, you know, a crossover if you, if you're, you know, your feet are wrong, but I just feel like it, it allows you to, um, predict which way he's going. So we, you know, tell guys like, if you put your stick in his chest, you can put more pressure on, you know, your right leg, if his sticks in his right hand. So, you know, you're going to your left, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, and I just think that nowadays you just, you need friction on the ball and you need, you need something, um, you know, I've seen it go from, you know, guys that, that when you had two or three takeaway guys on a defense to now, you know, I shouldn't say now, but, but a couple of years later, everybody's, you know, nobody touches anybody's gloves on an entire defensive possession because it's all slide scheme and, and, you know, all that stuff. And, and I never, I never understood why you wouldn't uh, try and touch a guy's gloves if, if, that was your matchup and you were athletically within his range. Um, you know, it, it, that's not always the case, but uh, I just feel like you just have to be disruptive to us, to a certain extent inside the box for sure. Um, but. Well, know. how about disruptive with, um, with being able to move laterally and cross check people. I mean um, the, the, the ability, I mean, it takes a really good athlete to be able to do that, but you know how sometimes shorties are so athletic that they can create ball pressure with their ability to move laterally and cross check. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, we talk about guys when they're, you know, when, when your shoulders are below theirs and you feel like they're not bearing down, they, that that's a really good time to give them a pop and let them know that they're going to be a little further from the cage than they were a few seconds ago. Um, and guys that are really good and really athletic, enjoy that moment to the, you know, to kind of say this, you know, I'm not drawing a line in the sand over here. I'm doing it over here. And, mm-hmm. and and it's a little bit of a mental game um, yep, I agree. both ways, you know, yep. like guys, guys that can do that, start to do that more and more. And, and, you know, then it's, then it's kind of their calling card guys like Tyler Warner and guys that we've had Jason Alessi guys like that. Um, so. Yeah. Because, because as an offensive player, if you're a Dodger and you try to split somebody up and they jack you and you just don't feel comfortable. Oh, yeah. It's it it is really hard mentally on that. Oh yeah, you're moving the ball and not not now. What do you do? <laughs> you're just standing there. Yeah, um, it, it's it, hard to it's hard to mentally pick up the pieces and say, okay, now I'm gonna now I'm an off ball guy. I'm the I'm the I was the Dodger. I'm taking the short stick. Now it's down to another guy because we're not right, dodging balls. You're headed to the third line. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Change my plans. But so. that leads me into an interesting topic of dodging. Um, which is, you know, we've talked about this before, but long dodging versus short dodging. Right. And I think the predictable long dodging, you know, the predictability of long dodging can allow some of these guys uh, to move and jack you up. But if you get really good at short dodging, 
Yeah. Kind of like, it'd be like playing basketball against somebody where you're using, you're just outside of their ability to hand check you with their cross check. And you can use jabs kind of like how Nakai Montgomery would dodge. Remember how he would like get really close to you and jab you a little bit and he'd slow way down and get your feet to stop. You know, then, then if you've got good timing and quickness, you know, you don't have to be physically dominant and, and you can, you can make it a lot harder on the de- the defensive shorty who might be more athletic than you to be able to. Well, and that's, you know, we've always taken a lot of our middies are former attackmen, you know, who, who you know, a, a really good ex attackman can be a phenomenal guy on the corner. If you can treat that high corner, like it's X and, you know, he, he's not going to be deterred by getting jacked up here and there, but if he's, you know, keeps going back and forth and, 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 you know, taking a guy high and low. I think that we've had a lot of success. A lot of guys that are, that are attacked when they feel like, you know, like it's, they can go wherever they want up there. You know what I mean? So. Totally. Speaking of which, let's talk about Brando. Sure. Matt Brando. I just have just loved watching that kid play over the last few years. Right. I thought last year he was, I thought he's most underrated player in the country based on the fact that I thought he was a Torton finalist level player. Just a, did it in every single way. I mean, he could beat you one on one. He was incredible off the ball. I mean, unbelievable shooter, great feeder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm gushing about your player a little bit, but but he is all that. No, I mean, if you weren't gonna, I would. I mean, he's 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 a special kid, you know, and he's. I got to give credit to Gino Briaco. Do you know Gino? Yeah. Um, Gino and I coached at, at Loyola, or at, when he was uh, got out of Loyola, we, we coached at uh, Delaware together. No way. Yeah, for for a cup of coffee and remain friends. And, you know, he just sent me a text at one point in the recruiting process and said, you know, this kid's reminds me of Pat Spencer, not stylistically, but just impact wise. He said, and you're going to, you're going to kick yourself if you don't take him. And we, you know, he, we had put him through the paces and it wasn't like, it just didn't quite um, see everything with that, but I trusted Gino and we took him and the kid went in the weight room and came out 20 pounds thicker. And, um, He's just been phenomenal ever since ever since he got here, and just a great kid. Does everything we ask. Doesn't you know? Works his tail off. Phenomenal student. Uh, just he's tremendous. Um, you know, ironically, I don't think he thinks he's that good a player, which is really strange. Um, he's got humility to a fault, but um, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud of the fact that we we're gonna have our, our third. Team are all American that not a lot of people recruited in a row, you know, we, between Reeves and I think Jackson Morrill would have been a first team is in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, he was phenomenal, you know, and, and, and Maddie. So it's, it's been very impressive to see what they've been able to do with our weight room and, and just the fact they're great kids and they work really hard. Um, but you're right. He's, he's a chameleon. He can play inside. He can play outside. He can, he can dodge. Um, he could play midfield if we asked him to. Um, he's really worked hard on his riding. He's a great rider now. Um, he's just been he's been incredible, and we got him for two more years, so that's exciting. Two more. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. 
COVID, I, COVID to the rescue. All the, all the benefits that the super teams are getting, we're going to get in hopefully another year. So we get a couple couple guys are taking semesters off to get extra years. Oh yeah. Um, I use uh, videos. I clip out videos of Matt Brandow all the time to show the athletes I work with um, hesitation moves. Yeah. Kid is so good at using hesitations. Most people, you know, use hitch and go and they hesitate to make a move off their split or whatever, but he uses hesitation moves in the middle of dodges where he gets a step on you and then he gets you to put on the brakes while he's going. Either make you overrun him to come back against the grain and roll back on you or just to get underneath. And, oh, man, just such a thing of beauty. Was he a hoop player too? Uh, No, I don't think so. Um, But he just – he's a – you know, he's a guy who when he was a freshman in high school, he played inside. You know, his high school attack was Wisnoskis, Spencer, and him. (laughs) You can imagine that. No way. He went to BL. What's that? Pat Spencer went to BL. He did. They all did. Oh, I yeah. forgot. So I was thinking that Gino was at BL. Gino's at Loyola now. Right. Okay. At- got, it, got it. Got it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. He's he's he just he can do anything really, and it's all self-made. He just he's just a great kid. And how big is he? He's six one or two two hundred. I'll tell you what he weighs. What he weighed yesterday. Where is he? Yeah, it's about about two hundred right now. It's probably a little little light, maybe ninety eight. But he's very fast and and worked really hard in the weight room. And you know his vertical leap's gone up probably eight inches since he's been here. Uh, just a, just a diligent, great kid. He actually worked for Joe Sy this this fall. Uh, he was a TA in his law school class, and. Uh, and and I got an opportunity to meet some of the students in that class uh, with Joe, and they, hey, they said what a great kid he was. But then they they, said they had just found out that he was this incredible player. They thought he was just a like he never talked about lacrosse. He never said, never mentioned who he was or you know whatever. They they said they couldn't believe the the delta between his his ego and and his his accomplishments on the lacrosse field. So. They were they were most impressed with that once once the dust settled, so unreal. Pretty cool, yeah. Well, Andy, I love talking lacrosse with you. Thanks for coming on this podcast, and you, um, and best of luck in twenty twenty three. I can't wait to watch you guys. Last year, um, I think me and Towers talked about just how impressive you guys were. Considering you, half your team seemed to be freshmen, um, yeah, you know, now they're just- sophomores. They are sophomores. As so Bobby Knight said, the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. <laughs> if they take a, a sophomore jump, which is a big if, then I think we got a chance to be pretty good. So we'll see. But thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate yeah, buddy. It. We'll be in touch and um, give me a shout anytime you want to talk lacrosse. We'll do, buddy. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Andy. Have a good one. Yeah.